0: You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to Soupcast, coming to you from Archaeosoup Towers. By popular demand, we're taking selected videos from the Archaeosoup back catalogue and bringing them to you as convenient podcasts. As the name implies, with Archaeosoup, you get a bit of everything thrown into the pot. Archaeology, discussion, humour and debate. You can find out more at archaeosoup.com. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our hearty helping of Archeo Soup. Hello and welcome back to Watching Brief for the week of the 25th of April 2022. I am joined as ever by my fantastic co-host, Mr Andy Brockman, who's been having uh, some gas problems this week as opposed to his normal hot air issue. Thank you, Mark.
1: I think I, have, I think I better interpret that for our viewer who speaks to the Mid-Atlantic in uh-huh. um, by but, but by gas, uh, he's talking about the fuel rather than anything biological. Yes. Um, it's a domestic, not biological problem, yes. Exactly that. Exactly that. No, no, no. no. Uh, we, I, I couldn't record yesterday because we were having, it, it was third time lucky in getting a new cooker delivered. Yes. Um, so, um, hence, um, that, that was my gas problem. In fact, it wasn't even, even a direct gas problem. The problem with the old cooker was the fact that the oven door had fallen off. Oh, okay. Okay.
0: So it was just a, it was a hinge problem.
1: Yes. The, yeah. the, 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 the whole future of House Brockman hinged on a new crooked door. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Uh,
0: but whether we're making terrible puns or not, <laughs> our watching brief continues. Our weekly, well, almost weekly this week effort to bring to you the archaeological news of the week and to discuss and to encourage discussion in the comments below. Uh, And this week we have uh, a few uh, lines to keep an eye on. We have uh, a few links of the week, um, in addition to our our long standing Disasters Emergency Committee uh, link, as you can see on the screen. and uh, uh and also as well we have a broader theme of contested heritage uh, in times of both peace and war uh, so i suppose first of all uh, the links of the week that we want to highlight this week um in addition to the disasters emergency committee uh, include uh, the um icomos uh international day for monuments and sites theme for 2022 that was heritage and climate uh very pertinent and um we've actually there's a there's a couple of articles down there with regards to that um that 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 came sort of at the beginning of of last week when we intended to putting this watching brief out and but also as well the upcoming uh council for british archaeology festival of archaeology is uh well it's 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 not too far off is it? It's a, it's an annual event
1: and is well worth checking out. Absolutely, And um, in fact, uh, if you're in the UK and want to register an event, they're taking registrations for the festival as we speak mm. um, details are on the website on the link. Excellent. Now, um,
0: I'm going to be, I'm going to make sure that you're strict here. Okay. We've got some lines to talk about. So, so what lines are we pointing to and uh, therefore what should people keep an eye on for the near future?
1: Well, the first line is actually connected with climate, uh, albeit not absolutely directly. Um, there is a row in London over the demolition of Marks and Spencer's, the, the uh, department store's flagship Oxford street art deco building Hmm. Um, it has been going through planning they have planned permission to demolish the existing building and build a uh, a, a new building on the same site hmm. uh, there's been a lot of opposition to it because the argument now is that um, certainly among many architects and many other uh, people involved in the environmental movement that retrofit is a better climate um a better re, um response to the climate emergency mm. than the demolition and rebuilding with all the embodied carbon that represents mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um the um mark Spencer's have countered that over the lifetime of building um the um the carbon situation isn't as bad as opponents um maintain the situation now is that the government has actually overruled the uh, local authority westminster mm. uh, who gave planning permission and have um what's time called in the um the, the planning application it'll now be determined by michael gove who's the relevant government minister mm. um it's being seen as something of a test case for um, whether the current planning rules are up to strength in terms of enabling local authorities planning authorities to uh insist on more carbon um more carbon uh, friendly uh more 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 climate emergency responsive mm. planning applications
0: well and yeah this is something that we we have touched on in the past um especially when it came to it comes to questions initially i think we highlighted this with regards to uh, museums for example and whether or not the fact that you might want a brand new shiny wing for your museum or even a whole new site um May be the most may or may not be the most responsible way of proceeding, and whether or not archaeologists right. and historians and curators and others should be uh, should be on board with with wholesale reconstruction as opposed to repurposing, uh, and as you say, considering a, a notions of embodied carbon. So, yeah, okay. So that's a test case, and presumably, um, because I know that you and I have a climate special possibly in mind at some point in the near future, we might. Uh, presumably, this is this is something that that we may well be referring to again
1: absolutely I, th- I think it's something that certainly the whole issue of embodied carbon and retrofit versus new build is something that the architectural profession is engaging with developers have reasons not to because new build has tax advantages particularly yeah. at value added tax yeah uh, which isn't charged on new builds but is charged on retrofits yeah um and yes it's some um, but archaeologists of course are involved because archaeologists are involved in the planning process
0: yeah exactly uh, but also as well there's a I think there are strong uh, cultural, emotional draws as well. The idea of, we're going to build a new building to house the exhibition for, I don't know, King Mobby Bob um, and his, his Saxon entourage or something. Um, yeah. it, it, that sounds cooler in a press release and sounds more more like you're doing something in the community than saying, we're going to re- repurpose this building for the purposes of...
1: So I think it's also about
0: moving people's attitudes along as well, isn't there, Away from this notion I've, of each cer- building almost.
1: Yeah, I, I, I've certainly been involved in planning cases and observed planning cases where, for example, uh, local councillors on planning committees have seen new as progressive and preserving the past as regressive. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, and finally, you, you you plonked this in my lap
0: just before we started recording. Um, something from the National Infrastructure Planning um gov.uk website uh, and it's riveting isn't it i quite, can't quite figure out what i'm looking at it just says a303 stonehenge um the responses to the secretary of state's consultation letter 24th of february has been published it is that it
1: is that what what this is about no what what this is about it um n- n- new readers start here or new viewers start here um no uh, people who've been following and watching brief for a while will will know that we've regularly carried updates on the attempt of Highways England to stone launch stonehenge <laughs> to build a tunnel and dual carriageway across the stonehenge world heritage stonehenge and Avery world heritage site It split the archaeological community It split the local community It split uh well it hasn't really split the environmental community because, because most environmental organizations are against it they see it uh, we, we talked about carbon earlier in the show um it's seen as an out-of-date 1970s 1980s solution to a transport problem that is um Uh, Damaging in these days of of, of the climate emergency, anything that is likely to encourage traffic and traffic moving faster uh, is seen as a a bad thing. Um, The uh, the project, the A three hundred and three project, was stopped um, just before Christmas by a judicial review, which found that the government had acted unlawfully on two counts. Um, The government then, uh, under uh, Transport Secretary Grant Shapps, then Ask for further submissions uh, to, uh, with a view to um, deciding the future of the project. Those submissions have just been published on the um, Department for uh, Transport website by the uh, Planning Inspectorate. There are, I think, 1,206 mm. separate uh, documents that you can look at if you're interested. But, we talked about the Marks and Spencers in Oxford Street being a test case for conservation, the environment and building um, Stonehenge's building up to be something very similar. Mm. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So there's a documents tab there, isn't there? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right.
1: Okay. Um, well, well, what I would say, I'd, I'd just like to, um, that, that there is one document on there, which is absolute um, classic. Um, it, uh, it's, it It's a letter opposing the... Um, the building of the um of the, of the tunnel and uh and your carriageways um but it suggests that the um the government has a pre-planned um response that all those letters will have had which is along the lines of um thank you very much for your um uh, for, for your response to the secretary of state's consultation over the a303 at stonehenge da, 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 da. Um, your reply will be considered carefully by the secretary of state before we go ahead with what we wanted to do anyway <laughs>
0: Exactly. Yes. Yeah. He'll he'll consider it carefully. Momentarily. Yes. Yeah. Um,
1: exactly. Not that anyone's cynical about this process or anything. Or anything no. No. And not not, uh, not
0: not the, not not that, that that particular politician has described uh, all of this sort of stuff as deeply inconvenient. You know, not at all. Yes. Mm.
1: Uh, y- uh, yes. The, um, Stopping business coming, uh,
0: business of government much, moving you know, at the rate right that again. it wants to move. Um,
1: that's right. Yes.
0: Yes. Yeah. I think we've right. done, we done fairly well there. We've got the lines, the, the initial lines out of the way. These are things to keep an eye on. Uh, that's a solid fifteen minutes of this half-hour show. He says, right. um, <laughs> and, uh, and now we're going to move on to uh, to our main two segments. So first of all, we come to uh, the story of Montpellier in Virginia. This is the the home of uh, the United States's fourth president, I do believe. That's right, James yep. uh, Madison. And yep. uh, it is a historic site. Uh, the website, for example, even has a tab which is all about the archaeology on the site, and have lots of smiley faces doing digging and looking at artifacts has got reenacting and all sorts of things happening on the site. So it's a very, very historic site. Uh, but the, the headline that you, that you brought to my attention initially, um, was that Montpellier uh, says it is open to parity with slave descendants, but descendants call foul.
1: What's going on there? Right. This is a very, um, bitter and complicated rail that's going on as we speak. It, it mm. hasn't been resolved yet. Um, and uh, for anyone who really wants to get to grips with this, uh, we're linking to a National Public Radio uh, page uh, which includes a four-minute listen explaining the background to the dispute. Um, basically, the um Montpellier estate, Montpellier Plantation in Virginia, Uh, which was the home of President Madison, fourth Mm -hmm. uh, fourth president of the United States. And Madison's important because he was a key figure in writing the US Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Mm. Um, He's a major historical figure. Mm -hmm. Um, the, The Montpellier estate is now run by a foundation which has a board of directors. And as with many historical figures in the last 10 years or so, uh, the involvement of James Madison with slavery and, uh, and enslaved people who basically ran the estate, worked the estate, kept the estate going, mm-hmm. is now a major issue in how that's uh, how the estate's being presented to people, yes. uh, to visitors. Um, cuts of the chase. Last year, a Group called the Montpellier Descendants Committee, who represent around 300 descendants of the enslaved people who worked on the Montpellier Estate, mm-hmm. thought they'd reached an agreement with the board of directors, whereby the board would take on to its strength members of the MDC, um, so that eventually, so that what, what the effect of this would be that. There will be parity between a sort of more, I suppose, a more traditional um, James Madison-focused um, presentation of the estate, and the, uh, and, the uh, and the enslaved people who made the estate possible, who supplied Madison with his wealth, who you know that made him that uh, enabled him to be that major political figure, the person who had been involved in writing the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Um the the current row is that uh the board of directors are accused of reneging on the agreement. Mm. Mm. Um the result of that was that senior members of staff, including archaeologists, complained and were fired. Yeah. Yeah. And the situation now is that uh, there is a major row um, over the whole issue. Uh, organizations like the Society for American Archaeology, for example, have have, have come out uh, with statements supporting the staff and the MDC. Yeah. Um, the current board is under a lot of pressure to um, backtrack and and, and um, re- return to its original, uh, what is claimed to be in its original agreement. Mm. Um, the latest appears to be that they have agreed to take on members of the mdc but in a way that means that the current board maintains a majority until at least the autumn yeah and the protesters find that unacceptable and, so, and this, this
0: is because they they can they can put things in place in the meantime that might make further work
1: that, that's yeah. right and, yeah. and, and, and for example not rehiring the staff that they fired
0: exactly exactly yeah because by then they, they have to have found another job probably yeah yes. um it is interesting actually to to see uh the society for american archaeology uh, and how they handled this actually they had uh, a statement initially issued on the 13th of april um with a pdf version available so people could sort of download it and share it around but then they followed that up on the 21st um uh when the situation had changed again. Um so they were very much on top of this and then and, and they they seem to be, well, as they said here, um these firings are completely unacceptable and constitute an egregious violation of freedom of speech and freedom of academic inquiry. So these are archaeologists in the US supporting open inquiry and freedom of speech. Uh, and and yeah. and it's interesting because You know, similar things are happening at the moment in in this country when it comes to, for example, especially national trust properties. There are some people who are being very loud about whether or not we should be learning the full context of the history of a house as opposed to the fact that it it essentially looks like something from a Jane Austen uh, denouement, uh, you know, where the hero and the heroine uh, live happily ever after. Um, And uh, often these conversations, they lead to uh, quite emotive, um back and forth and 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 very rarely actually are they are they are they resolved in a way which
1: which which satisfies everyone and at the very Well least, I think it's, it's so go ahead well I was going to say I, I think it's probably worth illustrating what that, that comment you just mm. made um by um looking at some of the quotes that is on the M, on the NPR uh, mm-hmm. account of what's been going on mm-hmm. um, the, um, they say suggests that this is a dispute that's been in the in the making for a long time. Mm. Um, they also quote um, Elizabeth Chu, who is one of the employees who was sacked by the current board. Um, what she says is, uh, quote, and this is again, this is all in quotes, so it's, it's well sourced. Um, it's not hearsay. Basically, what they're afraid of is the MDC, the, the obviously the, the Descendants Committee, taking over the board. Mm. Um, and she goes on to. Um, allege an environment that the um, NPR describes as rife with racism. Um, uh, They they quote that multiple people allege that uh, one current board member described a black person as having intimidated him with a, quote, Frederick Douglass stare. Mm. Mm. Um, And Elizabeth Chu says that the argument is rooted in what... She argues that the current board see as, quote, angry black folk. Well, and that's the thing, because Frederick,
0: Frederick Douglass was a famous anti-slavery advocate. He was a former slave. He famously, I believe, wrote a book on the issue. He spoke about it uh, across around the world. He was invited to speak in, in his day on the issue of slavery. And he was actively um, seeking uh, cultural, financial, emotional uh Recompense. He he was he was badgering people because because he had experienced this himself. So to, to 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 yeah. Again, it's well as you as I say, it's emotive. It it brings out emotive. Well, again, I, in, in,
1: in 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 yeah. I, look, in, in fairness, I need to quote Gene Hickok, who's hmm. the uh, current chair of the board. Hmm. Um, he countered the arguments uh, put forward by the protesters and by the MDC, Um, he said, um, in quotes again, um, the, um, the Montpellier Descendants Committee through its leadership has worked relentlessly for months to create dissension and division among the staff of James Madison's Montpellier. Some members of Montpellier staff have, as a result, spoken disparagingly, even hatefully, of the volunteer board that governs this historic American treasure. Mm. The atmosphere at Montpellier had become untenable and toxic, aggravated by misleading public statements made by the MDC and by bias demonstrated by the National Trust for Historic Preservation. That's the ultimate owner of the estate. Mm. Um, Work was not getting done. Projects were being halted. Montpellier's leadership could not allow that to continue. Um... Employees say that actually is not true. They are. They argue that the uh, the board has actually made misleading statements. Um, they uh, suggest that the board has been underhanded. Um, They present themselves as being kind and caring and then behind the scenes when no one's looking have been simply bullying and trying to intimidate and foster an atmosphere of fear and just a toxic working environment that's um matt reeves uh who's one another one of the staff that was uh terminated he was the director of archaeology and landscape restoration
0: Mm. Mm. and ultimately all of this comes about because people really care about the past and they care about the story that they are are thinking of as being most important in a given situation or a given site and for the most part unfortunately people tend to think that history tends to be one narrative one story one particular strand uh, mm. and i i, I mean I, I certainly don't want to um to to make definitive statements on what's happening in montpellier but I can absolutely understand how it is that that you you might have some intransigent people who are wanting to protect the legacy of a great figure of history as they as they might describe them and other people wanting to expand and explore the, the heritage and the history and also the economic circumstances surrounding that great figure of history and so even if with the best of intentions, the, the, a historic site is always going to be contested in some way, even if it's just uh, perfectly friendly uh, uh, professional historians who look at one document and interpret it in two different ways. Th- th- there's always the potential for, for interpretive conflict on a site in that sense. But when it is tied to a national figure, and also cu- very current issues, still current issues of uh, economics, identity, race, um, the legacy of slavery, for example, and and also perceptions of other people in a modern society. Uh, naturally, it's going to it's going to have the potential to to bubble up. And and I mean, we, there's a case study closer to home that we're going to look at in uh, in just a second. Um, but I mean, do you have any final thoughts on this one?
1: well yeah i mean i think just to reinforce that um idea you've just been um expanding about contested sites and um, matt reeves the archaeologist i spoke about earlier mm. um is quoted further in the article um as saying that what um they the, the board want to do is quote a complete perversion of everything that is montpellier it shows to them, what they see as Montpellier is not history, not the work that we've done. That's the archeologists, the historians, mm-hmm. the MDC, looking at the history of the enslaved people. Um, and he says, it's something else that is terrifying to think, uh, and it's terrifying to think what they'll they'll undo and create. Um, in other words, that the, the, the work that has been done to not foreground, but just include appropriately the mm-hmm. lives of those enslaved Africans, Mm, mm. um, those enslaved people, Mm. um, is somehow going to be again, backgrounded to, uh, bring president Madison back to the fore. Mm. Um, and underlying it is, you know, it, it, it's, these are very, very difficult conversations. I think I'll just, just finish, um, the, um, the, chair of the mdc said the ceo and chairman of the current board continue to blame everyone but themselves for the sad situation they're in a deep bubble of denial mm. and in fact the mdc's uh attorney uh, gene workheiser um said quite bluntly usually racists these days are more competent <sighs> which itself isn't yeah it's uh, it, it
0: it gets messy, doesn't it? And
1: it's very, very messy. Yes.
0: Yeah, and I mean, th- th- this reminded us of a of a story that's happening at the moment here in a place called Stroud, um, where uh, Stroud District Council um, is set to recommend the removal of a clock. And this is a clock um, that's been in the headline here. It's called the Black Boy Clock, um, a two hundred and forty eight year old clock uh which has been described as an offensive racist relic end quotes uh should be taken down the council has said in the context of seemingly at least a year's worth of of people calling uh in the, in the most recent stin- instance for this clock to be removed um an anti-racism campaign was was began calling for the removal of the, of the clock that they said uh glamorizes the slave trade Uh, The black boy clock in Stroud uh, at that point was 247 years old, one year younger, um, and features a statue that sits on the side of a grade two listed building in Gloucestershire. Uh, The clock, interestingly, hasn't always been there it was created by a uh, watchmaker john miles in 1774 and has been in various locations in the town but in 1844 it was removed to it was moved to its current site and location uh, in what was then a national school for girls and uh, it's a clock above which is a recess uh, with a little uh, almost um, an eave a small sort of almost like porch like uh, roof Structure, uh, under which is the the figure of um, of a child, a black child, an African child, uh, who stands ready to strike the bell uh, when the clock chimes. Presumably, on the quarter, half, and full hour, um, this 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 figure will act. And again, it becomes quite difficult because 1844 is a long time ago. You know, it's certainly more than a lifetime ago. So for some people, that is just where the clock has always been For some people. Uh, this is a, uh, a, a, a relic uh, of, of a, of a bygone attitude. Uh, but also for others, it's a very current, um, uh, demonstration of, of current issues. And for example, uh, one person described the boy as as being, um, um, uh, restrained at the neck. Uh, by a cord which is attached to the building uh, but as far as we can tell from images at least this may this may in fact simply be there to ensure that the statue doesn't fall over i don't think this is necessarily part of the depiction of uh of an african person um from the 1700s but that said though the quality of the depiction as as you pointed out isn't particularly good anyway is it it's not actually it's not actually a picture of a, of a real human in that sense
1: You you look at the image now with 21st century eyes and it looks like a very sort of rustic image of a a fantasy of what a black person actually looked like, created by somebody who probably hadn't met many, if any, black people in their in their everyday life but maybe was familiar with the sort of patronizing images that you found on broadsheets and Mm. uh, and so on Mm. and 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 it's contemporary and what i think one of the reasons it's it's distasteful to look at now um obviously it's it was created before slavery was abolished in britain and british empire um it is also from a time when if you look at portraits of aristocrats you sometimes find for example um that they're portrayed with black servants often children um who are almost dressed up as mascots um you know they're, they're, they're there is a, a, a one of the um badges of uh, of, of of wealth uh, like mm. you know being followed by a hunting dog you're followed by a hunting dog and your black child slave it's well, really offensive in modern eyes. But well, almost like an accessory. Yeah. That's right, a fashion accessory. Yes, a fashion accessory. That's a very good way of describing it, actually. Yeah. yeah. Mm. These, these, these are human beings being treated as fashion accessories mm. and having no choice about it and having no agency in it. Mm. So that's the that's the cultural background of this thing. So yes, of course, it's very upsetting and offensive to modernise. Uh, it's complicated by a number of things. One is the um, fact that, it, that this is a, a rare structure. The clock mechanism is in itself rare. Mm-hmm. And it's on a grade two listed building, which means that any changes, including removing the figure, require schedule um listed building consent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now that means that the uh, any decision would have to be decided by the Secretary of State, currently Nadine Doris. <laughs> um <laughs>
0: Sorry, Nadine
1: Dynamite Doris.
0: That is that would be Di-
1: Dynamite Doris. Yeah, <gasps> the, you know, the Secretary of State for, for Culture. Oh, but you say so you really caught me out with that one. <laughs> Go on. Um, and of course, she she yeah she'd be very
0: sensitive about this. I'm sure.
1: Well, she she is the one of the leading proponents in the cabinet. We understand of the so-called culture war. Part of the culture war is to retain and explain.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And in in fact, Historic England have uh, expressed concerns about the impact of removal on the integrity and significance of the the building. They say that, for example, it would harm the significance of the listed building and the character of the conservation area. There there are two statutory characteristics of this Mm -hmm. location that Mm -hmm. make it more complicated than otherwise to to, to move this this piece hmm. um the local mp um it also follows the government line uh, Shavon bailey um she says that she quotes uh, remove uh, opposes the removal of history and statues to do so serves no purpose other than to allow some people to decide or be selective with history or decide what is most comfortable and cause no offense that I mean, um, as
0: we've discussed in previous watching briefs, that's not the issue. And also you shouldn't conflate history and statues as being the same thing. But in this instance, what's interesting as well is that, the, I mean, this is, and this is really crucial. This is where, again, these knotty issues have to be really carefully examined. Um, as, as much as I, I'm I uncomfortable with that image, I wouldn't ask for it to be removed. So she, so the MP can, can jog on, please. Thank you very much. In so much as... Um, at the very least here it says what uh, the, the verify. it could not be verified that this is actually supposed to be a slave it, yeah. it could be a very low paid employee as it were they the being depicted in this instance um whatever the inspiration or its origin said straed council I believe um it has to be remembered that without a doubt the boy's image came indirectly or indirectly through the influence of slavery and colonialism nonetheless so it comes down to then, I suppose, a legitimate question as to what the, the current culture and society and um, the, the the people of Stroud think about these matters and these issues. And then th- this is where this in matter of statues, and as we've touched on previously uh Seemingly endlessly, in some ways, in this in this country, Colston et cetera, uh, is is it is at what point is it okay for a, for a community to decide to change something? Um, because after all, history is the story of changes, uh, and also, in this instance, the clock, for example, has been in different places at different times. So so there's a lot to weigh up and to balance. And so we th- I think we thought speaking about we thought we just sort of balanced out somewhat the the Montpellier story in terms of complexities that are yeah, inherent,
1: uh, absolutely but I, I think also it, it um it's all complexities it, it it points up the the legal complexities you know mm. Montpellier with you know there the, are issues of of governance and representation and mm. so on and lack of consultation and, and 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 arguably high-handed inappropriate behavior on the part of for example uh, it's alleged that the board mm. here you've got a council that's um arguably trying to do the right thing in representing different views and giving different views the opportunity to uh, promote themselves within a civil discourse Mm. and within a process you have then that um that process interacting with government mm. and in fact i i mentioned nadine doris there's also um it, it, listed building consent comes from the secretary of state for culture but planning permission is the department for communities and leveling up um mm. which is um, michael gove mm. um you know so there are two government departments involved potentially in a government which uh, has a policy of retain and explain mm. Mm. so you know it um it's it's complicated. We were talking we started off talking about contested heritage. It's very much contested heritage. There's a part of um of Brink called the Black Country, which is about industrialisation, it's about black smoke and soot and so on. It's nothing to do and coal with and stuff, skin, yeah. and colour and race. It's mm. it's to do with yeah, it's it's the cradle of the industrial revolution. It's where um where Ironbridge Gorge can be found. And mm-hmm. uh, the um if people are familiar with the Peaky Blinders, the Black Country Living History Museum where all the Peaky Blinders is filmed was filmed uh is is, is um uh, part of the part of the black country as, it, as the name suggests um there's a town in the black country called stowbridge which i know very well and when i first started, uh, first started going there in the 1990s uh, i went to a local pub um victorian pub called the labour in vain and um, the labour in vain had some very beautifully etched glass windows Um, it was very arts and craft movement style in, in, in terms of the imagery. Mm -hmm. Um, these are probably at least a hundred years old, Mm. um, very, very well crafted, um, except that the key image, illustrating the idea of labouring in vain, was a group of white women surrounding a bathtub in which was a black child, which, uh, whose skin they were trying to clean. Now. Mm. You can imagine that even back in the 1990s that was a very very difficult image yeah and i remember sitting actually in in, in the labouring vein um with a family friend who actually was a um producer with um, radio 4 at the time bbc radio 4 and um is of asian heritage himself mm. and we were discussing this image and whether we it, it should become whether we should start talking about it and whether it was possible to do something with the story um so all this while we are trying to watch Manchester United win a football match um, He was a Man U fan, I was in neutral um, But um, Recently when I went past the pub again Those windows have been taken out, removed now, right. I'm not aware that there was a row over it mm. uh, I don't know where they've gone um, Whether they've been preserved or whether they were destroyed um, But I have to say I'm not unhappy that they are no longer there mm. because I think it would, even a retain and explain um, would not do other than make them a really uncomfortable and actually offensive image um, mm. you can argue that in an exhibition in a museum about race they might be appropriate but not in public, in open view at eye level when you walk past in the street
0: Well, and and that's the point, isn't it? You know, the the world turns. Things change. We we are allowed to change how we interact with our our history.
1: Hmm. Most of our churches have whitewashed interiors because in the Reformation, the medieval wall paintings were deemed as sacrilegious and had to be covered up.
0: That's true. Yeah, although there's a wonderful section in uh, the Galilee Chapel in Durham Cathedral, where they've managed to take off some of the whitewashing, you can see some of the old artworks. So you get a hint at just how riotous the building would have been. Um, yeah. But 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 again, that's people changing how they relate to their their immediate history, never mind uh, long-standing heritage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but of course. Contested heritage is universal, whether in a time of peace or a time of war. And it seems that wherever there is war, heritage is even more acutely contested and indeed used as a prop in, in uh, in if you want to call a war a contest, in that friction between at least two or more groups. Uh, I, I remember last year, for example, I, I believe in watching briefly touched on the situation in ethiopia following a conversation that began on the Archaeosuit facebook page where i had shared uh news that uh, lalibela and other sites were potentially at risk from uh, troops moving in uh into those 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 internationally famous ethiopian religious and historical um places one person in particular responded saying don't worry uh most of the people involved here are christians and therefore the sites aren't at risk um never mind the fact that there is a muslim contingent and never mind the fact that for example i suggested have you heard about the uh, the the reformation in this country you know in, in england for example or or uh, or the civil war uh people with the same or very similar religious beliefs northern ireland for goodness sake you know i mean like you know that's not the an yeah. The yeah. I mean, you you can look at any period in history. virtually. Yeah. You know, it's, it's possible for those mechanisms. people to, to fight and to destroy each other's cultural property. And in this instance, um, there's an article here. It's, it is from last year, but it's uh, it's pertinent. Uh, it points out that roughly sixty percent of the population of um, of Ethiopia uh, have uh, an Ethiopian Orthodox Christian faith, um, but that doesn't stop. Uh, churches across the country it hasn't stopped it uh, particularly in november last year th- th- this article is talking about um seeing culturally important places and historically important places being used uh as a, as a strategy i mean the, the article here asks the question why would ethiopian authorities allow for the assault on sites uh, such as um the church of saint mary of zion um or uh uh, you know, Sites from the seventh century, uh, such, such as the Wukro Al uh, Najashi Mosque, to proceed, and uh, and the conclusion, or one of the conclusions here, is that the most persuasive explanation is that therefore uh, that this strategy quote is aimed at humiliating and demoralising populations to break communities of resolve and spirit. It's uh, in its most extreme form. This is known in international law as cultural genocide there's a very strong and heavily weighted words but i think there's a that's a legal definition as opposed to something that's intended to, to to make you go um emotionally the intended effect is to erase people's attachment to land uh uprooting them not only physically but psychologically religiously and culturally i would add there destroying religious sites is a powerful instrument in this approach and in this instance it's it's the, the, the conflict in Ethiopia is complicated and like actually we have touched on this previously but it's it, it's ongoing and, and we're seeing this year similar things uh, being reported at least in Ukraine um that seeing as we are recording today I'll cheat a little bit and put a link into the uh, into the agenda that I, I saw today where uh, I think the art newspaper was talking about how we need to be very careful, when examining people's claims as to destruction of cultural heritage in their countries, um, because the people who are claiming loss have a reason to, uh, to 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 magnify that loss and to blame the people who they claim are destroying said cultural um, and uh, and religious heritage.
1: Anybody who watched our interview with Alina a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. um, I think one of the main takeaways from that is particularly in an area that's contentious like this, check your sources, check your sources again, ask who, what, when, where, why, and then check your sources again, because mm. it's so easy to be misled by perhaps even something that you want to be true, mm. Mm. Um, that you know falls into your particular comfort zone on a particular area. It's so important not to allow that to happen and to, to keep the rigour. Or or
0: perhaps perhaps to rephrase that, not just to to something that you want to be true, but something that adds to your intellectual argument, shall we say. So you may not want something to have been destroyed, but if it has been destroyed, it adds to your argument that those people over there are are the baddies.
1: Exactly that. Mm. Exactly Mm. that. Mm. And, for example, people could argue that this week's destruction of the so-called friendship statue in Kiev um, which was a statue that was put up in, uh, in in Soviet times to the um, the people of Ukraine and the people of the Soviet Union fighting together against fascism mm. um, was somehow uh, you know a, a piece of um, uh, cultural um, cultural vandalism, um, although as um, erasing history, somebody,
0: as uh, a minister here might
1: say. Well, this is the thing, but then on the other hand, when somebody is currently trying to erase your history with shells and guided missiles, um, do you really, are you really supposed to expect something like that to go uncontested? You know, Mm. we are in very, very difficult areas Mm. here. Mm. It comes um, as as, as part of a developing story, really, of what has happened in particularly occupied areas of Ukraine Mm. since 2014. Uh, There is a UNESCO report that came out in the um, autumn of last year, 2021, which looked at what happened in occupied Crimea, um, where it is argued the government of the Russian Federation under President Putin has promoted a history of a Russian Crimea over a more complex history of a Crimea that was uh, part of Ukraine until it was taken over um, annexed by, by Russia in 2014 um, and which downplays, for example, cultures like the Crimean Tatars mm-hmm. um, and also it alleges, for example, illegal archeological excavations um, illegal and they're, they're not authorized by the government of Ukraine, which is still under the, you know, legally internationally, uh, is Ukrainian territory, mm-hmm. uh, and the removal of artifacts to museums in the Russian Federation, mm-hmm. including Moscow. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, you know, that is done. That that is done very deliberately because it it is argued under President Putin's uh, Greater Russia policy, um, Crimea has no independent existence, and. Ukraine has no independent existence. They're part of Greater Russia. Mm. Um, And and so this cultural campaign is going on alongside the military campaign. Um, The latest document, the one from the Antiquities Coalition, it's part of a series of briefing notes that have been published by the Antiquities Coalition. They're an organisation, an expert organisation, that seeks to um, provide information to governments and NGOs and so on about issues of... um, cultural crime, racketeering, illicit trade and in arts and antiquities and so on. And how, and their interaction with armed conflict. Um, this particular briefing note is by Daniel Schultz, Dr. Daniel Schultz and Dr. Christopher Chasparrow, who are two American academics. Um, they have, uh, in the past, worked uh, for the United States Naval War College and the Department of Defense, so they're very keyed into government thinking. Now, some people will see that as a as a red flag, but they're arguing from a uh, you know a point of view of bias, being pro-West, pro-NATO, and so on. I think if you read the document, it's actually a very um, well written, well researched academic um, discussion of the issue of how the Russian Federation under President Putin operates. Mm -hmm. Um, It talks, for example, about Russia's use of revisionist historical narratives. We're seeing it in Ukraine now, where Ukraine is a Nazi regime. Mm. And just in the last couple of days, we've seen um, uh, Russian uh, media propagandists referring to uh, NATO, uh, Western countries and NATO, as as having supported Nazi Germany uh, against Russia. Absolutely not true but um you know there the, 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 there are these attempts to uh, to to other the the opposition mm. um they, they they make a series of the chase they make a series of recommendations which i'll just outline briefly and then people can maybe go away and think about how these impact on their own practice because i think we've seen observations when we've tried to raise the issue of ukraine in the archaeological sphere in the uk at least um that oh you know we with we're britain we uh, we, we, we only work in england we only work in britain um we're too small for uh, to take have, have a regard for this um we want to talk about archaeology in fact this is absolutely about archaeology it's about the entire international landscape within which archaeologists operate and the way that what archaeologists do can be manipulated by political actors for good or for ill well and that's
0: the thing Um, i I, I don't think I, i had fully identified that thread until until a few moments ago whereby as you say, everything that we've been talking about in this episode, and it has been a slightly longer than, than planned episode, um, is is about the 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 way in which uh people alive now, or at any given point in history, relate to their their past and use their past to prove various points in times of peace and in times of his- of war as well and, and conflict, Um and uh and so yeah, so to just. To, to, the, 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 yeah the, but, sorry go go ahead the, the, but the, the, very, the very idea that you can separate the two past yeah. from people attempting to prove political points or to win wars is uh, is nonsensical
1: I, I i that's what i'd argue certainly mm. I, absolutely and i think the recommendations that that shorts and Jasparrow come up with they're, they're they're only five um they're quite short and i think they make sense so what they recommend to people trying to deal with russian um cultural warfare um, and i think uh it's appropriate to use those terms but it's not just about russia it's about any entity that seeks to misrepresent history for political reasons mm-hmm. for, 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 and, and for reasons of, of, of conflict mm-hmm. um so what they, what they what they argue is that Um, we should raise awareness, build resilience of of propaganda tactics and aims and narratives to help avoid actions that actually support those narratives. Mm -hmm. Um, They say institutionalise the threat. Um, Countering history-based influence activities should be integrated into exercises scenarios planning processes policy and doctrine throughout defense and security and governmental establishments Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, they suggest exploiting opportunities to analyze propaganda narratives um, and understand what the adversary perceives as a threat Mm. um, along with revealing what those narratives suggest about intentions about future actions that's when you come to, when you have people talking about oh ukraine never had a historical identity of its own it was always part of russia it's mm-hmm. that kind of argument mm-hmm. that suggests that if, if, if you accept that historical argument then it's very easy to have a special military operation to get rid of the nazi regime and so on yeah you, know, you see how it goes yeah, yeah. um then it, it so the first parts really are about building structures resilience building is, these issues into planning and then looking at how what those narratives tell us about what the, how things might turn out the last two are practical measures that can be taken to counter mm-hmm. one is counter messaging um, which is to basically operate within the narrative framework you, that you're opposing rather than directly confront uh, confronting the sort of Existential worldviews of the target audience, uh, particularly when they might have been uh, manipulated by years of, of propaganda putting forward a particular view. Mm-hmm. So, don't just bash people over the head. Basically, work from within the narratives they're already understanding, and then you know, message carefully, effectively within the, uh, within those narrative frameworks. Mm-hmm. And finally, and again, this is very counterintuitive, I think, for all of us who work in history and archaeology. Um, it says, avoid overemphasising history. And I'll quote directly here because it's an important point, and I think it's the one I'd like to leave our audience with. Mm-hmm. It said, uh, they, they argue, correcting historical fallacies is important, but it must be made to clear, clear to audiences that adversary appeals to history are irrelevant discussions of current state sovereignty democracy and self-determination and what what do you think that means
0: uh, in, in so much as is it, is it is it a case of well we are actually where we are and we have to have conversations
1: about where we are is, is that what it's saying it, exactly it, it's saying basically it doesn't matter you know if you believe that the fact that you know, the Kievan Rus and Prince Vladimir um, existed and went on to be the foundations of the modern Russian nation state. So on. What matters now is that a state called Ukraine was created from the, in the breakup of the Soviet Union in the 1990s mm. and is independent and is, so, and is a sovereign democracy and does not want to be part of Russia.
0: Right, yes, I see, yeah.
1: But, uh, yeah, yeah, and and that's the important point. Because if, sta- if you happened.
0: start if you start with the former, you're immediately challenging someone's perception of the world, their identity, their 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 exactly. their their theirness, as it were, rather exactly. than talking about you know well, actually these people on that street over there simply don't want to be part of your political system. <laughs> like, exactly, hmm. that's it. Exactly it. Yeah,
1: hmm. exactly
0: it. Hmm. Interesting, interesting.
1: It's a, very, it's a very interesting paper. I do urge people to read it.
0: Yeah, and there are a couple of other links as well. We've put below um, relevant to ongoing uh, efforts. Um, for example, there's the Canadian team that are involved in the global effort to save Ukrainian digital history and so on and so forth. Um, so do do check those out. In case it's not entirely clear, folks at home, we have been having some technical issues this afternoon. Um, and, and actually, uh, uh, at times, it's felt a little bit like uh, Andy and I have been on a, on a, on... Slightly parallel tracks in terms of the delay on our call. So, hopefully, um, uh, hopefully, what what our conversation has been about has come across clearly. Uh, but please do continue continue this conversation below in the comments. We're very interested to 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 genuinely examine these issues of contested history and heritage, and that this this the whole
1: point of this this episode. I, 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 absolutely, I would say, but there there are probably few more important issues facing us as historians as archaeologists um in our practice but also in our everyday lives actually and in our everyday relationships with the people we share the planet with Mm. from these issues yeah yeah
0: we may well share a planet but we don't necessarily share the best internet connection unfortunately Um, um thank you very much for your time this week andy uh Thank you folks at home for tuning in and for listening. As I say, please do comment below. Please do messages. There's an email below there. Andy's DMs are open. I'm contactable in various ways. Um, If you have any stories that you'd like us to examine or to cover. Um, And is there any hint at what might be coming next, Andy, for the watching
1: brief? Um... I'm going to be mysterious. uh, There there, there are, uh, well, I think there's a major maritime story coming down the tracks. And um, also, um, there are always stories about metal detecting coming down the tracks.
0: I see. I see.
1: Interesting.
0: Grand. Thanks for watching, guys. Until next time, do take care. Bye bye.
1: This podcast episode has been produced by the Archaeology Podcast Network in collaboration with ArchaeoSoup Productions. Find out more podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com
0: This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com